Hey y'all, and welcome to Speak the Movement, a podcast where we share the mic with yoga teachers, practitioners, and business owners for more perspective and insight. So this week we are here with a very, very dear friend of mine, Winter Taylor, who is a registered yoga teacher and also a very passionate practitioner. So hi, Winter. Hi, how are you? I'm so great. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) So good. I'm excited to be here. Okay, cool. So the first question I would like to ask you is what is Winter Taylor's yoga movement all about? Oh, wow. What a big question. Um, I think my big yoga movement is about people really learning to listen to their bodies, for sure. And in doing so, also learn how to navigate the world within their human vessel. That sounds like deep and profound, but I think because we spend so much time outside of our bodies in various different ways, whether we're like involved in work or we're listening to family members or trying to fit a certain image, doing all this kind of stuff where we're constantly contouring ourselves into something else. Um, I think yoga is really beneficial in bringing you back to yourself and learning to reintegrate um, kind of all of your insights into your regular life to become a more authentic self. So wow. something like that. That was, um, <laughs> I completely agree. I think we spend a lot of time like not even being in our bodies as our bodies. We're just in our bodies as Libby, the software engineer, the employee, or Libby, the person driving the car instead of me as my authentic self in my body feeling and breathing. And so yeah, exactly. Cool. So I wanted to start with you at the very beginning, like the way back machine, like we're going back to high school and junior high. So, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So my question for you is what was your relationship with athleticism and when did you start moving your body? Well, um, so I guess as an only child, my parents threw me into stuff like as soon as I could be thrown into things. Um, Soccer, t-ball, basketball, volleyball, like anything that I could try. Although I never tried gymnastics or cheerleading and kind of wish that I would have in hindsight. Um, But yeah, doing sports was my first, like, I wanted to say my first avenue into fitness and just getting into my body in the first place. Looking back at that time through this lens, like, how did you feel like your relationship was with moving your body? Is it something you feel like you were fully integrated at that time? Or do you feel like there was something more that you might have been missing? Um, I think one of the biggest revelations that I've had as an adult with doing athletics or playing team sports is that the message is very consistent that you are pushing past the pain or you're essentially training yourself at least from my perspective training yourself to dissociate in in order to focus on the higher aim of winning the game usually um and it's easy i think when you're young to kind of see that as a superpower almost you know if the game was starting to come down to the wire and you know it's fourth quarter whatever you're exhausted like you don't really have much left to give and then i would have these moments where it's almost like i would turn off my body you know any signals that I'm getting from my body and it's like this other I don't know what it was this other thing would take over me and all of a sudden I'm just like you know slamming down shots from the three-point line like it seemed like something else had come over me the message again of of you learning how to kind of turn off your mind 
and kind of cut off, cut yourself off from the sensations of your body in order to achieve this higher purpose. Like mm -hmm. the more that I think about it is very reflective of just like the society in general. Whenever you reflect back on it, you're like, I was sacrificing myself. It's kind of funny when you reflect and you're like, oh, actually I feel like maybe I was dissociating every single time that I worked out or like every time that I practiced. And that was a lot of physical time that I could have been spending in my body, getting to know myself and my breath, where actually you were just kind of absent. And yeah. isn't it crazy like how that all totally ties back to what you just told me that your yoga movement is about? Yeah, I do think that's funny. And on the flip side of it, even when I was doing more personal workouts in college, like when I wasn't in athletics and just pursue my own like fitness journey, even then I would use fitness as a way to escape. Mm -hmm. you know and you don't realize that you're doing that because it does make you feel better and it is a healthier way than say like crack but right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still you can get so far deep into this mindset of like escapism and using fitness or using just anything I mean as a way to escape whatever it is that you're actually feeling Mm -hmm. and get so caught up in like with weights it would be getting so caught up in adding weight every week and being like wow I couldn't bench this much last week and now I can bench this much more or you know it was so much harder for me to run a mile and now I can just bust out two and it's not a big deal um and feeling like I was getting better but you know once I moved to Austin and got into functional fitness it was like I can't really do push-ups like I can't really do sit-ups I can't really do pull-ups like I can't really move I hate bodyweight workouts um, and my form always sucked. Like I had no range of motion. I didn't really have strength in the way that I thought that I did. It was all very like disproportional. So when yeah. you made the discovery that you didn't have the strength that you had expected to have or that you're reflecting on these experiences, is that reflection conducive of you beginning yoga or did you have this realization before you stepped into the yoga space? I think... Well, really, what's funny is I took, I was just telling a friend this last night, um, one of my friends took me to my first yoga class in college. I forget oftentimes that that was my first experience with yoga because I was so used to not even being in my body and not even really being a person due to, you know, being on medication and all this other stuff. It didn't have much of an effect on me. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes sense, but it was like another, it was just another workout where I was so trained to just kind of like leave my body yeah. get through this thing and then come back later and didn't really have a profound experience but mm -hmm. once I took my first yoga class in Austin and it was more of like a yoga setting I I really didn't know what it was that felt so different about it I just knew that it felt different and it felt like something that I needed for whatever mm -hmm. reason and so um connecting with an instructor who just kind of really sent it home for me, Zoe Welch, that we know that we've worked with at Wanderlust. Um, it made me see m my relationship with movement differently, I guess. And mm -hmm. that just kind of got me started in wondering, wanting to know more. And so what was it that got you in the door for that first class or your first couple classes with Zoe? What brought you there? I was actually, I was working for a gym here called Body Business, and I was the um, memberships, one of the memberships managers, and it was part of my job requirement to take one of each of the classes. At the gym? 
first? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then and then Zoe tells you, hey, there's a super awesome place. <laughs> well, yeah, it was kind of funny because she was one of the instructors at um, Body Business. And then we kind of just hit it off, became friends. And a couple of months later, she was like, hey, so I'm actually not going to be teaching here anymore because I'm going to be a manager at the studio called Wanderlust. She's like, we, we're opening you know, on this date. And I'd love it if you came and like took one of my classes. She's like, you could come try it out the first month is free, whatever, whatever. And I'd never been in a yoga studio, you know, specifically for yoga. So that was, I mean, the first class that I actually took was Gustavo's Yo Strong um, for the soft opening rolled out. You one of the first started with Yo Strong? <laughs> what a shift. Yes. I had to like well, pay you money me. to get you in Yo Strong these days. <laughs> Well, that was the thing. It was like, oh, this is, you know, just a soft opening. Like, you can be one of the first people. And I love to be first. So, like, the, and she was like, but I'm not teaching this class. It's Gustavo. And she's like, but it's yo strong. It's like yoga with weights. And that's literally how she described it to me. So, of course, like, I go in there and I'm in Studio Passion, the small studio, and I'm back in the, like, corner and he's practicing in front of me with us to, doing this class. And I'm just like, okay, am I going to die? <laughs> Like who, like already I don't like to do these workouts, but now I'm doing it in 90 something degree heat. I just, it was unreal. But the way that I felt afterward, it just like never felt that way before. I remember right. the first time I walked out of a class, my face was like tomato red and I was standing there in the mirror, like looking at myself, dripping in sweat with this red face, like poking and making white spots on my <laughs> skin and just being like, wow, I really just, I did that. You know, yeah. I did especially in those moments where you really felt like I'm gonna pass out or you know it just it felt like yeah. it was too hard mm -hmm. and then you lay there in shavasana and you're like oh but I did it and then you're moving towards like power and vinyasa or like you're interested in taking other classes you start taking other classes yes so I obviously the next class that I took was Zoe's power class Mm -hmm. um, and I'd been taking her vinyasa. It was just like a vinyasa class. And the clientele at Body Business was a little bit older. So it wasn't anything as intense. But um, going from these non-heated vinyasa classes to like my first class, my second class at Wanderlust after Yo Strong being power, I was like, okay, <laughs> I yeah. might be able to do this once a week. If that, mm -hmm. it takes a lot out of me. And at the time they had yoga basics, which was really like, I feel like fundamental, obviously, because it's a fundamentals class, but fundamental to my growth in the studio because it introduced me to instructors like Jamie and um, some other instructors at the time who really broke everything down for you and just kind of like took so many of the other extra elements out of it and broke it down to, you know, your basic sun A, sun B, um, and flowing, like learning how to properly do chaturanga stuff like that you're still working um the balance between strength and ease and all that kind of stuff while maintaining this steady consistent breath yeah and then you're like oh this is what it's about it's like, funny what you say about strength and ease like i'm just kind of picturing you like walking into this yoga studio for the first time coming in with muscular energy and not so much organic energy right yes. 
And I feel like people always come in, students often come in being in one camp or the other. You're in the muscular energy camp where you've muscled your way through everything. You're the type of person that's leaving your body during workouts. You're super strong, but a lot of times you're just kind of like racing to get through it, muscling your way through it. Or you're the organic energy person who like slides into the splits and hangs out in your joints and all the poses and doesn't quite know how to engage. So Exactly. And then you it's, say, oh, well, there's this whole other part of myself that I haven't discovered. <laughs> yes. And really, um, there was, I do have one very specific memory. Um, I, I want to say that it was a power class. It could have been a vinyasa class, but I'll always remember the moment that it all really clicked for me. Um, there was one practice in particular where I was really trying to focus on like moving with my breath but someone had called, whoever was teaching that day, called Eagle Pose. And it wasn't my first time to take it, but it was the first time that I was really in Eagle Pose and allowed myself to feel completely bound up and completely constricted and just like actually focus on the sensations in my body rather than trying to dissociate essentially and really like stood there and said, okay, this is uncomfortable. Can I breathe through it? And that was one of the first moments that really, that I really started to cure my anxiety, which sounds crazy to say, but that's like the one memory that I have because I used to kind of get like a little bit of anxiety before classes, just knowing that there were so many people in the room that I couldn't just like run out at any moment. And that um, kind of the feeling of getting on a roller coaster, like once you start, you can't really stop. And that's not true. You can walk out of the room anytime that you want, but just recognizing that I even had that mindset to begin with. And it felt very similar to the beginning of like a basketball game or especially like track meets, knowing that my race is coming up and just feeling like you're on this thing that you can't get off of and recognizing that like you do have the tools to modify your experience. That is so hits home for me with similar experiences that I had. Like I, I used to put my mat right by the door just to be like, Oh, well just in case I can make my way out. Um, But Mm. I don't know. It's crazy over time. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Like I felt like I had to have like all of my escape routes like planned. Um, and just the same way in life, like with my anxiety, like I'm always looking for the way out when my anxiety hits, but then it's like, Mm -hmm. you learn these concepts of breath and drishti and your practice on the mat is like practice for what you experience in life. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you handle your anxiety completely differently because you started with handling your yoga practice that way. And But anyway, so um, you migrate your mat to the front of the room. You're practicing at Wanderlust. You're an actual yoga person now. And then at some point, you decide that you're going to join Porti. Oh, yes. So that happened serendipitously through the fact that, like, when Zoe was inviting me to take these classes, she was like, hey, there's an energy exchange program. So energy exchange is this program that they have where you can do, you can help out with a lot of the back of house stuff, um, cleaning mats, swiffering studios, um, gathering towels, all that kind of stuff in exchange for a heavily discounted membership for the first three months. Eventually, like you would have a free membership. You could take as many classes as you wanted. So it was like introducing you to the team and really getting you um into the community and you know practice as much as you want as well as get to know all the people who come in and it seemed like a great idea and so I tried it out she invited me to try it out and I like to clean that's one of the things I like to do that's winter yeah puts me puts me at ease and 
after doing a few shifts, she was like, well, would you be interested in like working here at some point? Like you could definitely be managing this team if you wanted to. So I did, um, I stayed, I worked through, um, lots of training with her one-on-one -on -one type stuff and working a lot of admin hours. And eventually I did quit my other job for this yoga studio job. And that was just like, I never would have guessed. Yeah. Like I didn't, it wasn't something that I was seeking out. It was something that found me. So you're managing core team. And then at some point you also decide, well, maybe I would make a good teacher. <laughs> That's funny. I never, I never actually thought that. Um, <laughs> well, somebody kind of told you that, right? So Lizzie Brown was my general manager at the time. And um, I don't, I honestly don't even really remember how it ever came up, but I completely quit working out in gyms and quit weightlifting and all that kind of stuff whenever I started working for the studio because I just wanted to see what it would be like to solely focus on just growing my yoga practice since it was doing such like such great things for my mental health. And I think going through that transformation and her just kind of seeing my dedication to my personal growth, if you will, she made the suggestion, you know, of doing a teacher training and it at first hearing that was just kind of like it felt like this big commitment that I you know I didn't almost didn't feel worthy in some ways which is weird to say but it just wasn't it was something that was brand new to me um so the idea of doing something like a yoga training kind of felt like going to school for yoga you know like getting a degree in yoga um I don't know after a while it just seemed again like something that I was being called to do more so than something that I necessarily wanted to do it's still even through doing the training I kind of had in the back of my mind like I don't know if I really intend on teaching after this like it's funny <laughs> to be on that end and be someone who didn't really have that type of a confidence in myself or in my own knowledge I guess that's it's so weird too for me to hear you say because you're such a knowledgeable and well-practiced, well-rounded teacher. I, I, you know that now, right? It's just in the well, beginning. Yeah, I, I still don't. I don't know. It's weird. It's something that I've definitely used yoga to, to work on. Is just like my self-image and self-concept, of course. But yeah. um, I'm also just not that person who. Ooh. it's not it's not even that I don't trust my own knowledge or my own judgment but it's definitely like I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about if I'm going to be teaching that to other yeah. people and sometimes you just doubt your own your own ability to um comprehend and then reiterate those things to other people I guess I fully understand that um but yeah, in the exactly. vein of doing that self-inquiry and uh doing the teacher training do you have any experiences that really stuck out to you that you want to talk about? Well, I do think for sure that in doing teacher training and recognizing that was when it really set in with me, the whole like moving with your breath kind of a thing. Cause that's a really tough, it feels like, and you'll get this cause you play instruments, but it's kind of like when you're learning the left hand and the right hand part of the song, that's like, you can play the right hand, you can play the left hand. And then when you're trying to do both together, you're like, Kind of fumbling through it and you're like uh I can't do it as smoothly together as I can separately but then really integrating the the two 
and noticing the effect that it had on just like the stamina and sustainability of the practice and the ability to make shapes. I don't know, there is that. And then of course, like realizing, just getting the words out is like this whole doorway opening of realizing like, okay, so I know that like moving with your breath and your movement was already one thing. And now all of a sudden I have three hands and I have to be able to <laughs> speak yeah. about what's going on as I'm like seeing it happen in other people or even yeah. as I'm practicing, especially now during virtual trainings, but realizing how many aspects go into it and then adding the fourth hand of theming and it just kind mm -hmm. of really set in this idea of it's not it's not about the shapes it's not about the postures mm -hmm. like and it's about all of these other things that you gain in that process and i think just learning about you know the yamas and the niyamas and the four agreements and all of the philosophy behind it and recognizing at least for me that those are a lot of things that i was already kind of interested in are things that I already had been investigating without even realizing it was yoga and that's yeah. kind of when it clicked for me in the training that like oh wow I really am supposed to be here because these yes. are the same ideas and philosophies that I've been trying to teach to people but honestly it was probably using psychology to do that yeah I think I my biggest my biggest misconception coming into yoga was that yoga is asana and yes. throughout teacher training, you learn the eight limbs of yoga and you learn asana, which means like postures, is only the third limb, right. the third limb. And that's after the yamas and the niyamas, which is kind of like the way that you live into postures. And then from then on out, it moves like from breath to meditation. Um, right. And then realizing that like yoga isn't postures, it's how I live my life first and then doing the postures and then the breath and then all of the inner inquiry that comes along with that. So it's a way of living your life and not just a, oh, I'm going to the studio for an hour and I'm going to do my cool poses. Right, yeah. exactly. It goes yeah. beyond the fitness aspect that draws a lot of people to it. Yeah. And I think especially like being one of the people who the fitness aspect did draw me to it, but recognizing that like, oh, there is a whole system and, and, and like I said, a whole philosophy of things that come with this, that make the practice make more sense. Yeah. With modern yoga, I feel like sometimes we discount that initial interest and in like the fitness aspect of it. And we say, oh, well, that's not really what it's about. Like people should stop obsessing over it, which you know, I understand that's not what it's all about, but also like, it's great that we're able to draw people in in this way. I think, especially like in the Western world, a lot of people, um, if they do know about the greater parts and the philosophies and things, they can, they can assume that it's, you know, woo woo, it's like hippie stuff, it's not legit, you know? And I think having the physical experience and something that you can feel, see, and touch, you know, that, that um, physical, tactile, sensational experience um, of, or sensory experience, that's what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. of practicing and noticing that you do feel different than you do just after a typical workout. And it's not to say that you don't still get kind of a high from a regular workout, but it is different whenever you practice yoga. And so then to do that and then learn some of the backstory behind a lot of the things and knowing that like you 
can take it for what it is or what it means to you and it still be just as significant, um, I think is an integral part of introducing people to it because otherwise people might just think, uh, or they might have some misconceptions about, you know, yogic philosophies and things like that, that, that invalidate the practice as a whole. And it's like, well, just, just try mm -hmm. this out. Tell me how you feel. And then if you want to learn more, I can kind of explain to you probably why you're having some of the feelings that you have, you know? Yeah. And that's all that inquiry that in the beginning you were like, I don't know enough about yoga to teach other people or I'm not confident in this. And like, <laughs> look at you, look at you now. Like, it's been a long journey, but the best part of anything is that I just like to learn. I like to learn more. I like to get more information. Um, and I do like to share information. So it, it's starting to really set in with me that it's okay to like really know things and to trust that you know these things and trust that you're capable of sharing them with people in a way that it will land. The other things that factor into that are having been called cocky or arrogant or stuff like that before. Um, mm. Whenever I wasn't, I know that I wasn't, but just a misperception from old coaches and stuff like that that put me mm -hmm. in a weird state of mind about just my own capabilities and in a sense dimming my own light so that other people can shine brighter kind of a thing yeah so trying to unlearn a lot of those type of things um, yeah you've done a good job of that unlearning I think because I feel now I sense when I take your class that you are a confident teacher and that's what I mm -hmm. see in you so as you started to you did all the learning and then you stepped into well you graduated right and then mm, yes taking your first steps as a teacher what was that like so we graduated on a sunday and then come that friday there was an incident at the studio um and our facilitators talk about this a lot where sometimes your first experience as a teacher is that the teacher who's supposed to teach a class doesn't show up and you're the only certified instructor in the studio that can help this wasn't quite like that but there was an instance literally the same week that i graduated where um Lizzie's class had waitlisted on a Friday and there were some people who couldn't get in um, and still wanted to practice. And so I jokingly was like, or, and it wasn't even me. I'm pretty sure it was, it was Amy, <laughs> Amy Vocal, who was like, would you be interested in just like teaching us a quick 30 or 45 minute flow? And I was like, I mean, I can. I didn't think I was actually be able to step away from the desk, but I asked Zoe and I was like, would that be okay? She's like, dude, go for it. And I was like, oh, really? ah kind of come up with something off the top of my head for it was for three practitioners two of them were instructors so it wasn't like you know just some some people who came in it was kind of intimidating but it was also like all right let's just see what happens like i've been in this in this phase of my life where i just i'm gonna try things that seem like they fell into my lap so let's do it but that was that was really an affirming moment for me because after afterward like regardless of how it went on a technical scale of like you know did i cue this correctly did i do this did i do that like i didn't really even have any of those thoughts i just felt so i like i felt a different type of high from teaching than the kind that you get from practicing and really didn't expect that and that really is what made me feel like i'm gonna keep doing that <laughs> so you you taught that 30 minute flow and then i remember i had found a little hole in the wall studio that I wanted to audition for. And I went to the manager and I was like, listen, if you want to hire me, you have to also hire this girl. Her name's Winter. She's an amazing teacher. Like, here's her email. Please call her. She's so good. 
Yeah, seriously. And I was like, oh, Livy, like she's out here riding for me. That's so nice. <laughs> and how would you describe your class? Like what is a winter class? Oh my gosh. So I've learned my classes are hard. <laughs> they are definitely hard and they like you're going to sweat whether the room is heated or not and you're going to sweat sufficiently it's very much an energetic experience um and at the same time it's energetic and it's hard and it's challenging but it's there's also this element that at least i've been told and that i've kind of noticed in myself that i the way that i that I speak these things and share these things with people keeps your mind from really focusing on the fact that this is so hard. That you can be doing these really difficult things and you can get through it and you can surprise yourself with how strong you are and with how much energy you actually have, especially whenever you have someone who's facilitating this experience in an energetic light to, you know, <laughs> to kind of to kind of conduct the energy in the room. And that's something that I get a lot of joy out of because I do really feel like, you know, the music and just the the energy of the instructor and the way that they say certain things can mm -hmm. either have you really invested in what you're doing or it can kind of take you out and make you too aware of what's going on to the point that you like can't even stay in it. So yeah. there's a lot of elements and a lot of like psychological tricks that I use and don't even realize. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, we were talking earlier, I guess, I think it was this week, but we were talking about how I find, we find it so interesting when we talk about these isms of teachers, like the winterism, I think, is just what you said, is that you are going through this sequence that's very challenging and that fits these postures together in really unexpected ways, but you're delivering it in such a way that it feels so natural and everything flows so well and then you'll finish the round of the sequence like you'll take your vinyasa and you'll be like wait a minute like i just did so many things <laughs> but it was yeah. fine because you you hold your students so well and i love that about your classes i think it sets you apart as a teacher well thank you it's really important to me um to to definitely be firm in my own belief that it shouldn't be easy, but also like I'm not out here trying to slaughter you. I just want to, I want you to have the most physical experience you can have if you're taking a power class. And so something else that I think really sets you apart as a teacher, sets your classes apart, is when you weave these aspects of astrology into your dharma or your talking points. So that's yes. something that we didn't go over, but you started getting into astrology like around the time that you were getting into yoga or it was before? So I've always been interested in things bigger than me to start there. Um, I don't, I can't, I want to say it was sometime in high school that I really started noticing that there was probably more to astrology than just like sun sign, like snippets in the newspaper. Um, and it was, you know, one of my friends that introduced me to the concept of natal charts. And I was like, oh, wow, there's literally like a snapshot of the time that you were born in the sky. And this means something. And really, it's something that I've kind of always been interested in. Yes. But especially in the last three years, like as soon as I graduated college, I was like, OK, now that I've learned everything that I was supposed to learn <laughs> and that I paid to learn, now I can just learn something that I'm really interested in. And so I just immediately went into this deep dive with astrology, um, especially after following 
a an astrologer, professional astrologer named Dana, the People's Oracle. And she introduced me to this whole other side of astrology called sidereal astrology, which is similar to Vedic, but without all the cultural context. Um, and it's, it's definitely like her own thing. Like she didn't get it from a book. She didn't, it's not something that she studied from someone else. It's something that she developed using the sidereal zodiac. Um, which puts everything aside behind and you know all these kinds of things um, which is nuts because when someone thinks that they're pisces you go to them and you're like well maybe you're not actually pisces well i am because yeah. i'm on the cusp but for everyone right. else whatever you think your sun sign is winter's going to tell you that you're one behind or one ahead one well it's usually in most cases it's the one behind yeah um and then I'll also tell you that you aren't your sun sign, that Western right. astrology has led you to believe that the sun is the most important planet in your chart. Mm -hmm. And it's not, but that's very much like a Western ideal of, you know, the ego, the, centering the ego and individualization and men and the patriarchy and all of these other things that <laughs> if you ever want to know more, we can, we can chat. But it's, yeah, basically started following her and realizing like how well her system worked. And again, it was something I just wanted to know more about because it was working. And what was, what's really unique about what she does is that she doesn't do it to be, you know, this oracle that can sit and tell you and be psychic and tell you about your life and things that are going on. It's not about her as the astrologer. She she frames it in this way that's about you. And it's honestly like psychology within astrology. And she calls it divination for liberation because once you recognize, once you have this tool essentially of astrology that, you know, keeps time for you, highlights themes and patterns in your life that constantly come up, it gives you a different perspective, perspective and perception of yourself in your life that allows you to move forward in ways just with more awareness of who you are. And it's really a tool more so than just like, you know, something fun, like a party trick. Mm -hmm. And it fits so much with me studying psychology. And of course, like when I started learning about yoga, I was like, wow, it feels like everything in my life has led me to this practice that I can integrate all of these ideas and they just merge seamlessly. And yeah. that makes it even more exciting because it's like, wow, I can talk about astrology without all of these excessive details and make it land in people in their bodies and hopefully make them want to learn more just about themselves and that's how it ends up being a self-empowerment tool I guess yeah. in a roundabout way. Yeah I had a lot of misconceptions I feel like about astrology also because in this culture like like you said it's the snippet in the newspaper of your sun sign that says like this week you are going to meet a person at the supermarket and get married to them <laughs> like right um, and like you said it it became more of a tool and like a way to highlight themes and aspects for self-empowerment instead of just a predict the future crystal ball thing. Yes, exactly. And that I think that is the misconception itself is that it seems like a predictive tool. And that's not to say that it can't be, but it's, it's something that everyone can use on some level just by keeping time, you know, using it more as a clock rather than a crystal ball in that sense. Um, because all you, all you really need, at least to study it the way that she's designed it, is to have your calendar and, you know, she'll offer moon, moon transits and planetary transits and all this kind of stuff that you can mark on these certain days. And all you really have to do is, you know, check your text messages, check your emails, think about the conversations you were having or the events that came up and write it down 
in your calendar so that whenever we're talking about these certain dates where you know the planets are here and there you'll recognize that oh wow whenever whenever other planets enter into this sign you know it reflects back onto this time period where all of these things were going on and look how that ties into each other and really i think the liberation comes from knowing that you don't have to keep doing that thing you've always been doing that's been holding you back you know because it's it gives you that awareness to know that you were even doing it in the first place and mm -hmm. then once you have that awareness just like just like we speak about in yoga and speak about anywhere like once you have the awareness it kind of takes the power out of that thing to keep unconsciously controlling you and you can have more agency over your life so my next question for you then is do you want to talk about what astrology is telling us like right here right now um to give some backstory the last three years have really been significant um when it comes to the astrology of this moment um and by significant i mean that a lot of the planets are in they're in these configurations that they haven't been in like all century so the fact that we're in the situation we're in with this pandemic and these social movements just being so um in the spotlight is not a coincidence um we definitely saw something coming um starting with the great eclipse like that already was a big indication of a major turning point um in this you know greater storyline of just our lives and all those kinds of things and eclipses in general do either represent like turning points they are big aha moments they're dramatic endings or beginnings of stories and so if you just consider the fact that we had the great solar eclipse that you could walk outside and see the sun you know which could be considered um to be like consciousness eclipsed by the moon which could be considered as like subconsciousness just on a like super generic scale that already was a big deal and if you think of what was going on in 2017 in general but especially like august 2017 that that was kind of like our our portal <laughs> into this new world that we've been living in and and you know then you consider the mars retrograde that we had in 2018 that was unprecedented i mean mars spent i think it might have been like six i can't remember it was a it was a good chunk of the year i want to say from may 2018 to november 2018 spent in capricorn because retrogrades, you know, it's if you were to look in the sky and see a planet move forward or, you know, move in its usual path, and then it appears to stop and seem like it's moving backwards in its same path, but moving slower um, and then proceeding afterwards to move back forward. That in and of itself is this kind of indication that, hey, whatever this is that we just experienced, that was significant. Let's stop. Let's go back. Let's let's move forward in a different way than we moved forward in the first place. So you get to 2019 and 2019 is like the climax of this, as my friend Dana would call it, a collective conversion experience. A lot of this tension has built up over all of this time. So then you get to 2019 and you have just like eclipse after eclipse after eclipse. And we have eclipses going on all the time, but to have eclipses go on in the same sign, the way that they did in 2019 was just like, well, we're going to change that storyline. We're going to change the storyline. Oh, now do you see what this was all for? And then we're going to change the storyline again. It's just a lot of ebbs in the road that 
are taking you in so many different directions and giving you so many of these really visceral personal experiences. And then you get to 2020, you've just gotten everyone to go through these life-changing experiences to get to this point where the entire world stops. We get to this moment in 2020 where the pandemic hits and everyone is forced to go inside and stay inside and sit down for a minute. And it became very clear that what we were doing before was chaos. I don't know, we were trying to reach something that we were never going to get to. And then pandemic hits and it's like, okay, what can we do instead? Getting back to this idea of plants and animals and the ocean and, you know, it just gave us a chance to sit and kind of get back to nature and, and realize that we're, at least in my opinion, supposed to be living with the earth, not against it and not exploiting it. I see this on a micro scale in terms of, in my own life, I feel like I've constantly been like driving to do the next thing, like doing a million things to excel in my career, like driving a million places and trying to apply to a million yoga studios so that I can be better or like going and buying this thing because that's going to make my life better. Like redesigning my house to make my house better and just constantly like out and about to do all this stuff, like trying to achieve like I don't know, like my most comfortable life. And then all of a sudden it was the world telling me, well, right now what you need to do is stay home. And then what really is important because was that new rug really that important to me? Like (laughs) was like going a million places and doing every single thing that I could do in my life to achieve what? Was that really making me happy? Because right now we need to get back to basics and we need to rethink. So it's like you can see it on this large scale of, you know, the environment and global warming. And I feel like you can even see it in our own, in our own lives. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, that was a lot, that was a lot of information to kind of lay out over this giant time span. But the, the main reason I lay out those three years in particular is because, you know, Saturn, the planet that all of the other planets eventually have to answer to. And Saturn is the one that takes about three years, plus or minus, to move through one sign um, and just assume that like signs are areas of your life. And these areas of your life, when you're referring to the signs, are, are kind of flavored by these themes. And the theme for Saturn and Sagittarius, which is where Saturn was from 2017 to 2019, or to 2020, is am I making my life a living testimony of my intentions and convictions or of the things that I say I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, what a theme. So it was like, even though we had this greater, this greater um, intention in mind or whatever you want to call it, this greater belief in mind, there were a lot of things that were kind of blocking us from truly getting to it. It seems like more people now than ever feel like they're they're finding their calling or they're finally doing things that are actually true to themselves because yeah. of this entire three-year journey that we've been on. Like hanging out here on this podcast and thinking about doing online yoga as individuals, like we would have never done, well, I don't think I would have ever done any of that if it weren't for this. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, well, not definitely not, but there, like we said, there were just so many things that wanted our attention. Yeah. That we felt like we essentially had to give our attention to just to stay alive, really. It was a lot of operating from survival. And then whenever survival is your main focus, turns out a lot of the other stuff is moot. So you spend your time kind of like 
noticing these big astrological themes and then you use this to kind of tie into your dharma and how you speak to your students. Do you feel like that's something that you plan week to week or is it just something subconsciously that happens as you, as you teach? Hmm. That's a good question. It really is a little bit of both. Um, I try with theming specifically to not, again, make it something that's forced. Mm -hmm. But there will be times where, like, I'll schedule, like, a class will fall during a certain time period or um, an event will come up that I can pick a date for when I want to do it. And mm -hmm. I'll plan it astrologically if it works out that way um, to be able to speak to whatever is going on in that moment. And that's usually because it'll feel so, it'll feel so relevant and so pertinent that I, I know people will have an easier time understanding it because mm -hmm. they're going through it and, and kind of sprinkle in some technical terms just so that you know when you hear it somewhere else you're like oh that's what she was talking about yeah yeah i like yeah. that because i feel like as a teacher um it's so important that your dharma feels authentic and that it feels digestible right yes, and exactly. i think that you know waiting for that window of opportunity that makes it authentic and that makes it powerful um, yes exactly so yeah, so you've been teaching, kind of weaving astrology in, and then I know you also apprenticed to 200 hour, and yes. you're now enrolled in rocket yoga training. What's interesting about that lineage to you? Having done these both of these 200 hours in kind of a Baptiste, um, Baptiste adjacent, as I like to say, um, format, it's been interesting to kind of scratch the surface, I feel like, of Ashtanga, because Rocket is kind of a derivative of the primary and secondary Ashtanga sequences. It's stripping down to the essentials, it feels like. You know, what I love about Baptiste is the room for creativity and the room mm -hmm. to add in, you know, some flair here and there and just some fun, some things that make the practice more fun. And Ashtanga is really focusing on the discipline and, and like we said, the necessity it does give you kind of a different connection of your body because instead of someone telling you exactly where to go, you have a little bit more room to explore because the instructor is kind of just guiding you through a really fundamental in some ways um, set of poses without offering too much for you to get bogged down on in terms of cueing, I guess. Yeah, I totally experienced that uh, as I started exploring the Mysore style of learning Ashtanga Yoga. And what I loved about that is that it was so much about the student's experience and the teacher is there to, you know, to help you understand the sequence and to get into the postures properly, but they're generally there to help you guide your own experience. And yes. you really get to learn through that, that the practices within the student. And I absolutely, I really resonate um, with that method of practicing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so you're finishing up this training and then what are your plans for you as a yoga teacher, for you as an astrologer, for you as someone who graduated another set of teacher training, uh, in the future? That's a really funny question to ask during this time, as we like to say, because I think what is really unique about this moment is that there is no guarantee of what's going to happen a week from now, a month from now, from one moment to the next. And so it really feels like I'm 
being called to use my practice and use my yoga like we've all been saying more now than ever <laughs> because yeah. you really only have one moment from the next so i can't really say that i have plans or you know anything that i that i'm necessarily doing moving forward i'm just really you know i'm still going to live stream classes as much as i can i may try to teach for a studio um at some point if i can live stream for a studio that way or just keep doing my own donation based classes um working on some projects with some friends and mm -hmm. just kind of really just again like utilizing this moment to not get too invested in anything but also just explore explore options explore my own practice explore my own you know perceptions and views of everything that's happening and see where it takes me totally yeah. and that's a good way to view it right that. now especially as things are so uncertain you know seeing where the practice takes you um mm -hmm. and i'm just so excited to see where you go and um i don't know if yoga will ever be the same after this but I yeah. know for sure that one day I'll be back in the studio with you. We'll get there someday. I miss you a lot. <laughs> but, uh, I miss you too. As we close, where can people find you? You can find me on, preferably on Instagram, um, at Winnafresh. It's w, at W-Y-N-N-A underscore F-R-E-S-H-H. That is where I'll do some short astrology talks or post about them as captions under my pictures or um that's where i post my weekly schedules for live streaming and that's just where you connect with me if you have any other questions or requests um and i'd love to chat more or connect and work something out well bye y'all yes. thank you so much for joining this episode of speak the movement and om shanti